Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Remember, we are dealing with two covenants as we talked this morning. The old covenant, which has been done away with, and then the new covenant, which comes through Christ. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, in some places, it's called the holiest of the holy of holies. That's uh, that's not there. I put that in verse four, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, and wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest only once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying... The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, which as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered gifts, uh, both gifts and sacrifices, that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, and that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purification of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We'll conclude at that point. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Bob Mullet, would you lead us, please? Well, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Tell the Lord all about Jesus, your love, and testimony, and song. I just thank you, Lord, for truly church of salvation, Lord, that you come on the cross, Lord. God, we're May sick and afflicted will touch and heal. God give us the courage, Lord, and the case, Lord, may they be like better. 
truly God, we thank you, Jesus. You saved us all. God, we're sinners saved in grace, Lord. Come to God on the head and pray for thee. Pray for me now. The first portion of this chapter gives us a description of that tabernacle or when it finally became the temple that may not be of any particular interest to most people but but notice that there is a description and it talks about it being in two parts and we have over the weeks gone by talked about the fact that the tabernacle or the temple was divided into different sections the primary sections being the holy place which was a normal assembling of the men who came to worship, and then that place called the Holy of Holies, which was behind a huge and a very heavy drape that hid that portion of it from the uh, normal sanctuary. In the normal sanctuary, in the first couple of verses there, there is a description of the fact that here is where the, the normal worship took place that had been ordained of God, and in that particular section were certain things described here as the candlestick, and there was a table on which the showbread was, was uh, laid and so on. We're not going to deal with all that stuff, but this was called the sanctuary, and that's why we call this auditorium the sanctuary. It's where we get the term. It was a place that people came to worship. It was sanctified, set aside for the specific purpose of worshiping God. And that is one of the reasons that we as a church are very conscious and careful about what takes place in this room. Not that this room means uh, so much per se, except that we want people to understand that when we come into this particular place, this room, we ought to be here to be giving God glory and honor. That's what they did in the, in the sanctuary in the Old Testament, and that's what certainly we ought to do, and it ought to be a place of reverence and devotion to God. And when we come and begin a service, then our attention, our minds, our hearts ought to certainly always be centered upon the worship of God. That means there are some things that just aren't acceptable in, in this sanctuary. Uh, that, that we need to be careful of. It, it is a place that, that we reverence God. And then the second portion of the building, of the, ta of the tabernacle, was behind that heavy drape. And behind it, there were some other things that were referred to there in, in verse 4. And it was called in verse 3, the holiest of all, or as in other places in the scripture, the holy, the holy of holies. Meaning behind there, that was a place of extreme reverence. And into that place, only the high priest went. And as you know well, he only went there one time a year. And in that particular spot, behind that heavy drape, they, there was the uh, golden censer. There was the Ark of the Covenant that the Hebrew people carried all the way through the wilderness. Uh, and in that Ark, there was a pot that contained some of the manna that the Hebrew people had eaten in the wilderness. It contained Aaron's rod that he used, the staff that he used, and that while he was in Egypt uh, started sprouting and, and growing buds and so on. 
And overshadowing the whole thing, there were some cherubs, some, some heavenly beings that, that were there depicting that this was God's location, God's place. This was God's position amongst his people. You see, in the Old Testament, they didn't think of God in the heart. They thought of God in the Holy of Holies. And that's why we, when we talked this morning about God saying he was making a new covenant, there was a change from this external place that God was located back here where nobody could see him, nobody could get to him. God became a part of us and lives and dwells in our heart today. That was one of the tremendous changes that took place. They didn't conceive of that yet because God was back there. And the Holy uh, or the, the high priest went back there one time a year for the purpose of, of offering the sacrifices. They would come weekly or even daily. You remember in the temple that there were people coming to the temple all times of the day in order to pray. The, church, the, the temple and the tabernacles were used a whole lot more than we use our building today. The church building is one of the least used buildings in our community. How many times do we meet here? Wednesday nights and then uh, other groups who once, or once a month, the women meet and the BYF meet once a week on, on Tuesday night and then we meet twice on Sunday. But for the most part, all day long this building is empty. It wasn't true in that day. They utilized it coming continually uh, to worship. And I really think that we ought to use it more than it is being used. And in many towns, the church is always open and it's available and they have places for people to come and pray. We don't really use our building that way. Uh, there have been times that I have felt so keenly to, that I needed to be in the presence of God that I could think of nothing but to come to church. And I've come into an empty building and been here at the front on my knees with nobody around, just me and God, because I thought this is where I could be closer to God than any place else. And, and it's unfortunate that's, that we, can't not, we cannot use our, our sanctuary, our church building, as we ought maybe to that degree, or haven't been inclined to do it, but they certainly did. But the emphasis then shifts from the normal worship of the people to what took place in behind that huge veil that was four inches thick and, and was hanging from the top of the ceiling all the way to the floor and separated God from his people. It was that veil that, that was torn from the top to the bottom on the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And for the first time, the people uh, sat there or stood there with their mouths gaped open, looking into the presence of God when they had never been able to look into God's presence before. We've got a privilege they didn't have. We can, with our spiritual mind and our spiritual eyes, see into the very presence of God. They couldn't do it. We can. Because Jesus opened it up so that we had it available to us. Well, one day a year became a tremendous day in the, in the life of the people. And that was the day that their sins were going to be forgiven. A whole nation was going to be forgiven of their sins on the day of atonement. Now this is a day that everybody went to church. 
They went to church. It didn't make a difference if they were sick or well. If they had company or not. If their vacation was scheduled or no. Nothing made any difference. They went to church that day. The assembly hall would have been filled to overflowing because that day the high priest was going to walk in there with some blood that had been taken from a goat. And he was going to sprinkle it on that seat, that mercy seat, that altar back here. And in the process of doing that, they were going to get their sins forgiven. Now you talk about wanting to be in a service. If you knew that only one day a year your sins were going to be forgiven, wouldn't you be there that day? And that's, that's what they were up against. Before the high priest could do it, however, he had to offer sacrifices for his own sin because he himself was sinful. It's interesting to note the scripture says he had to offer a bull for his sins. And then he took a goat and slaughtered it. And he took that blood off from that goat and he went back there and performed the, sac- uh, the, the ceremony. No words were spoken back there. But when he came out, they had another goat tied with a rope out here. What for? Everybody came up and laid their hands on this live goat. Everybody put their hands on it. What they were saying is, I am transferring my sins from me to that goat. He's going to be sent for me. Then, when the whole congregation had put their hands on that goat and had symbolically transferred their sins from them to the goat, they took the goat out into the desert and turned it loose that it would wander till it died, carrying their sins away. Where have your hands been? Who's your scapegoat? That's what it's called, the scapegoat. The Lord Jesus Christ, you see, under the new covenant, became both the goat that was sacrificed and the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat behind that huge veil, plus the goat upon which we would put our hands and transfer our sins to him and he carried them away. The only trouble was, in the Old Testament process, they had to get another goat the next year and do the same thing all over again. Kill another one, go through the veil, offer the sacrifice, come out, lay their hands on the goat, lead the goat away out into the desert, and hope he never came back again. I've always wondered in my mind, what did those people think if that goat found its way home? <laughs> and carried their sins back. I don't, I never, there's nothing in Scripture that says he ever got back, but I always figured that one of those goats one day is going to make it back and carrying all those sins back again. All right. Look at verse 7. But into the second part of the tabernacle... The high priest went alone once every year, not without blood, means he took the blood with him, which he offered, number one, for himself and for the errors of the people. 
Now here is a change in the Old Testament process and the New Testament process. The Lord Jesus Christ did not have to offer any sacrifice for his own sin, for he was perfect. Verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, this signifying the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. All right, let's see if we can decipher that. What the scripture is saying here is the Holy Ghost said, we will use this process of killing an animal and sacrificing it and taking the blood and offering it and using this live goat out here to put her hands on. We'll use this process because the way into the presence of God has not yet been made known. The way into the presence of God was to be Jesus Christ. And he hasn't come yet. But he is soon to come. All right, let's go on down to verse 9. Is that, is that clear? He's saying that, that, the, that the, the real way into the holiest of holies... The holiest of all has not yet been made manifest. That means being made known because they're still using the Old Testament process. All right, verse 9. Which was a figure uh, for the time then present in which were, they were offered gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the surface perfect. Now, I think it is important for us to read that clearly. The Old Testament process of offering a sacrifice did not make anybody perfect. Wouldn't do it. Why? Because it was only intended to clean up the external. For Jesus Christ had not come into the heart. So they cleaned up their act. They didn't clean up their heart. So people would come and offer gifts and offer sacrifices, and none of this service, none of this made anybody perfect. But now, encouragement, there's about to be a change in the process. There's going to be a change. Verse 10 which stood, that is the old way of doing things, the process of killing the animals and offering the sacrifices and doing all this, that stood in meats and drinks, divers, the word divers means many, many washings. The priest just washed and washed, he washed himself seven times. He took seven baths before he went back there to be sure that he was clean. He washed his body seven times. It had nothing to do with this ticker in here that we call the heart. And I'm not referring to the physical uh, heart. I'm talking about to the spirit of man. There was no emphasis upon cleaning up the, the, the heart. It was emphasis upon cleaning up the external. All right. Many washings, many carnal, that is physical, man-made ordinances, many things that a person did, and this, all this was imposed upon people until the time of redemption. The time of redemption is the time of the coming of Christ. 
all of this stuff of washing and drinking and eating and, and obeying certain ordinances was all imposed on people to do in order that God would forgive their sins until the time that Jesus comes. The point is, after the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross of Calvary, you can't wash yourself enough to get yourself clean. You can't sacrifice enough to get your sins forgiven. You can't do anything, can't do anything to get cleaned up anymore. For God did away with that whole process of washing and cleaning and sacrificing and obeying the laws and all that stuff. He did away with it. This will no longer get a person's sins forgiven. A, sins forgi a person's sins are forgiven now by a new way. That's what he means when there is, it's a time of reformation. And we have heard that word, studied it in school, and we know that there's a change coming, and here is the change. But, verse 11, the word but becomes very important, which is, is indicating that there's something different about to be stated. But Christ, being come as the high priest, I want you to notice what he's the high priest of. Look at it. He is the high priest of good things to come. Sometimes we as Christian people think that we uh, have the worst time in the world. It's so difficult to be a Christian. And I have people come to me right out of this congregation and say to me, I'm not sure it's worth it. I can't seem to live like I think I ought to live to be a Christian. Can you imagine those things being stated? But it's being stated by some people in our own congregation. And I can understand that. Because sometimes I feel the same way. It would be a whole lot easier to live the life of the world, wouldn't it? I mean, it, wouldn't it be a whole lot more fun to be sitting home watching television tonight instead of being out here? If you weren't a Christian, you would think, yes, it would be. We think, I've got to give up this, and I've got to give up that, and I've got to give up something else, and we are all sad, long-faced, miserable creatures, and the world looks at us and says, my goodness, why do you do all of that stuff? I tell you why we do it. Because there's a good time to come. And that's exactly what he says in verse 11. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. There's something about that place that makes it pretty important. That the sufferings of this world are nothing compared to the glory that God's got for us. And so we do suffer. And so we do have difficulties. And so we go through all of this on earth. But listen, it's worth it. You women who have had children, I'm sure that uh, to, the, to the very end of every individual in here would say that this suffering that you went through for those nine months of pregnancy and then the delivery was pretty miserable. And you probably thought, if I ever get through this, I'm never going to do it again, I'll guarantee you. And many a wife has turned to her husband and said, you're going to have the next one. 
But as soon as she sees that pretty little face and holds that little bundle for the first time, she has totally forgotten all that misery. That's what we're talking about. When we reap the rewards and the blessings that God has prepared for us, we're going to forget. All of this will have been worth it all. Been worth it all. Eyes have not seen nor ears heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Listen, God is preparing good things for us. Good things. And Jesus Christ is the priest of good things. And he says, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. In other words, he is talking about the fact that Jesus is going to be the high priest. He's going to be the minister, as we spoke a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last Sunday. Jesus is going to be the minister of, of a church in heaven that worships God. And that church is not going to be made with human hands. It's going to be made by the hands of our own Lord. Look at verse 12. Not going to be an earthly tabernacle, and neither is there going to be the blood of goats and calves. What's it going to be? By his own blood. Now look at these words, and I suppose I'm going to be guilty of repeating myself, but look at them because Hebrews repeats it. I guess I can too. By his own blood he entered in once. Once, once into that holy of holies back here. He entered in there once as our high priest. Having ob obtained eternal redemption for us, you can, without doing any discredit to the scripture, write a word in there. Having already obtained eternal redemption for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price. When he went behind the curtain, the price was already paid. He had already done it. And he only did it once. Look at verse 14. Well, let me make one other comment before we get to There are going to be people who are going to attempt to get into heaven without Jesus being the high priest and offering the blood sacrifice. And they're going to stand before the judgment seat and the Lord's going to give them the opportunity to. And they're going to say, but Lord, I tried. My, how I tried to be good. Don't you remember how I used to go to church? Why well, I prayed. And then when you sound like the Pharisee, I fasted. I gave offerings. I did all of these things. My, how I tried. I did my best. And the Lord is going to say, I'm sorry, but your best just isn't good enough. When people understand this, they'll know that they're lost or saved. Our best is not good enough to get into heaven. 
We're not accepted into heaven on our goodness. We're accepted into heaven on the blood of Jesus Christ. Did we sit in the congregation and watch our high priest take his own blood in a bowl and go in there and present it before God Almighty on our behalf? Or were we outside running around somewhere? Were we in that service? Did we come to the front of that tabernacle and take our hands and lay our hands on that scapegoat and let him carry our sins to the cross and die for them as the scapegoat carried the sins of those people out into the desert? If we did not put our hands on the scapegoat, if we did not sit there in that congregation and identify with the high priest as he went behind the veil and offered his own blood as sacrifice, there is nothing that we can possibly offer to God that he can accept. It indeed would be an insult to God for us to say, I didn't think your son was going to accomplish it, so I tried it on my own. What an insult that would be. All right, now look at 14. Down partway. Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. That was one of the requirements of the lamb or the goat or the bull or whatever was being sacrificed, that it was spotless. Nothing whatever wrong with it. Jesus Christ offered himself spotless before God. And what did he do by that? He purged your conscience from dead works. Dead works means useless ritual. All this useless stuff that the people were going through in thinking that this was going to save them. He has purged our minds and our hearts from all of this stuff and caused us to realize that there is only one thing to be done to be saved and that is to put our identification in the person of Jesus Christ. Purge our conscience in the living Bible is translated transform our lives and hearts. Jesus Christ will transform our lives and hearts so that we in fact will serve a living God. You know, one of the problems of the Old Testament process was that Every time they came to this annual sacrifice, they stood there and they remembered all of their sins. Over in chapter 10, verse 3, points that out, that the Old Testament sacrifices simply caused them to remember their sins year after year after year. You know one of the differences in the Old, in the Old Testament process in the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New, that is under the New Covenant we don't have to remember our sins anymore. We can forget them. And you know why we can forget them? Because God forgot them. 
at the moment that we have asked God to forgive us our sins, he not only forgives us our sins, but he forgets that we ever committed them. I think that's important for us to realize. Now we haven't learned that lesson yet. And we see it demonstrated in our midst time after time. A person confesses their sins to God. God forgives them and God forgets. But what does man do? Man says, aha, I remember when that rascal did thus and so. And I'm not about to forget that. And we hold up people's sins to them and make them toe the mark on our condemnation because we won't forget and we won't forgive. Listen, there's no place in the scripture that allows us the privilege of holding up somebody else's sin or even our own sin. For once God has forgiven, God has forgotten. And the scripture says over and over and over again that he remembers them no more. Absolutely. Remember no more. And if God forgets our sins, isn't it time we forget our own sins and forget the sins of others? Okay. Let me close with this one thought. I want you to picture in your mind a railroad station, many, many cars and a train with the engine already running, and it's called Life's Railway to Heaven, and there is a song by that title. And the idea is the only way that you're going to get there is to get on the railroad that goes there. And as you start to enter the car, there is a conductor. And the conductor asks one question. And the question is, are you a sinner? Some people say, I'm a Baptist. That wasn't a question. The conductor says, I'm sorry, this train is for sinners. You'll have to get off. The way to heaven is to admit that we're sinners saved by grace. And it was the blood of Jesus Christ who made a new way, no more ritual, no more of this stuff of doing, 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 only believing in order to get to heaven. So if you're a sinner, and we'll confess that, and claim the grace of God through Jesus Christ who died on the cross, then you can get on board. And we'll all meet each other there. But if you answer, I'm a Baptist, you ain't going to make it. Because it's only sinners who go there.
those that are saved with grace. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.